BridgeBank helps breakthrough ideas actually break through and remains dedicated to providing financial solutions to those committed to leveraging innovation to make the world a better place. BridgeBank, a division of Western Alliance Bank. BridgeBank. Be bold. Venture wisely. Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable, human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast. From KQED. From KQED in San Francisco, this is Forum. I'm Nina Kim. After years of fighting for every role, actor Constance Wu landed the lead in the ABC sitcom Fresh Off the Boat and a starring role in the hit movie Crazy Rich Asians. Then she sent out a tweet that nearly ended her career. The backlash was unrelenting and Wu attempted suicide. In a new collection of essays, Wu writes about that and much more about her mistakes and her triumphs and the burden of representation on women of color in Hollywood. It's called Making a scene. Constance Wu joins us after this news. I'm Mina Kim. This is Forum. Actor Constance Wu's characters have run the gamut. A tiger mom on Fresh Off the Boat, a stripper in Hustlers, and a college professor who suddenly learns her boyfriend, Nick Young, is from a family of crazy rich Asians. Yeah, you guys know them or something? Hells yeah. The Coos, the Youngs, I mean, who doesn't know who they are? They're just the biggest developers in all of Singapore. The Youngs are like royalty. Did you not know? Does she not know? What you never seen before? Tell them what they like. I don't really know what they're like. I mean, I haven't met them yet. I'm going to meet them tonight. I'm going to Nick's grandma's house. <gasps> You're going to Nick's grandma's house wearing this? That's an edited clip from the hit film Crazy Rich Asians, where Wu had the starring role. And finding success as an Asian-American actor wasn't easy. But having success proved even harder from her first edition audition, from her first audition to the tweet storm that almost ended everything. Constance Wu tells her truth in her new essay collection called Making a Scene. Constance Wu, welcome to Forum. Thank you for having me. It's good to Your be book, here. Yeah, it's good to have you. Your book was released October 4th. That was just a week ago or so. How does it feel to have it out there in the world right now? Um, yeah, it's, it's a relief to have it out there. I feel like it's a, a more accurate you know, representation of myself as a human being than, you know, than the person that you see on the red carpet or in press tours and things like that. So it feels it feels good to be like sort of in my own shoes. Yeah. A relief. How? How is it a relief? 
Well, you know, when you go on a press tour, whether it's for Fresh Off the Boat, which was like a family show, or um, Crazy Rich Asians, which like Fresh Off the Boat was sort of a beacon of Asian American representation, you sort of um, cater what you talk about to the topic because you're trying to promote your movie or your television show. You know, if you if you're promoting a family television show, you're not going to go out and crack jokes like out there because it's inappropriate. It's not the right forum. And so you bring forth the parts of yourself that are appropriate for that forum. And also the journalists ask you questions and you answer them. The journalists for almost all of my projects don't ask me about myself. They don't ask me about my craft. They only ask me those questions as it relates to being Asian-American, often assuming that my parents didn't support me, um, my choice to become an actor, Um, like like often coming up with this preconceived narrative all based on the fact that I'm Asian-American. But, you know, if that's what you're asked in a press interview, that's the question you answer. Um, And so my personality is further filtered by what journalists want to know about me, which inevitably has to do with the preconceived notion of, um, of, of what it must have been like growing up Asian American. Um, yeah. And I, I don't think I had a very typical experience. And I think if you read my book, you know, you read a lot of Asian American books or you hear a lot of stories of like being bullied or having somebody make fun of your lunch You know, all of these stories of, like, harassment that come from racism as a kid. And to be honest, I really didn't experience that, at least not overtly. I'm very proud of where I come from. I come from Richmond, Virginia. And the people there couldn't have been kinder or more warming or more welcoming. Um, So, you know, it definitely feels like... People wanted me to answer questions as if I had gone through this, like, racist oppression growing up. But I have nothing but affection for where I grew up and how I grew up, Um, even though I did grow up in primarily white neighborhoods. um, They were my, you know, your neighborhood is your family. Like, I write about my next door neighbors, Betty and Sid, who were like, you know, these very conservative, pleasant white church going folks who kind of became my surrogate grandparents, you know? Um, So yeah, I feel like (laughs) I get to ask the questions and I get to answer them in terms of how my book presents itself. I get to talk about the things I want to talk about, whether it's baking bread or like every car I've owned or (laughs) my relationship with religion or my relationship to many different boyfriends I've had over the years. And, you know, it's a relief to be yourself um, when the public has scrutinized you for so long or thought of you as something else, which, which is how I feel I've sort of been thrust into the, into public life in a way. I was struck by one of your descriptions of being interviewed and how sort of non-Asian journalists want to fit you into a stereotype if they're asking you questions about, you know, whether your own mom was a tiger mom, like the character that you played on Fresh Off the Boat, or whether you experienced certain forms of oppression. And then you were talking about how Asian or Asian American journalists want to ask you those questions because they want to find a point of probably commonality. And so in those ways, 
you. Yeah, I think I call it a warm mirror of communal experience. <laughs> they want to be like, oh, yeah, yeah, I know that. I ate those shrimp chips. I was into that. Like, and yes. it's like, it's a confirmation, but it also is limiting. Yes. If it doesn't exist, if that commonality of experience doesn't exist, it doesn't exist. And in some ways, it stops you from being seen for the fullness of, of who you are. One of the things that I was struck by in reading your your collection of personal essays, and I've read a lot of personal essays and memoirs as part of my my work, is that it did not feel like you were trying to create a tidy narrative of your or your life or a certain type of impression. You were really just being clear, this is me, good, bad, these are my insecure moments, these are my kind and profound moments. This is all that I am. And I couldn't help but connect that with some of the things that I've heard you say um, as you have started talking about this book, which is which is that one of the things that was so hard, especially about the backlash that you got from the tweet where you talked about being so incredibly upset about the fact that Fresh Off the Boat had been renewed, that there had been no attempt to understand or know what may have been at work for you when you sent out that tweet? Um, yes, the, the, there wasn't any work, but I do understand how, in context of the information that was available at the time, um, it sure didn't look great. And even <laughs> without that context, e even with that, even with that context, it doesn't look great. But I think that's the problem, is this hyper, um, this hyper focus in, in Asian Americans wanting to look great, whether it's looking like the romantic lead, uh, looking like the hero of the story, you know, and Asian Americans have talked for years, decades about the model minority stereotype, like getting straight A's, getting straight, uh, great SAT scores, and how they want to break that down and sort of like be the cool kid. And I truly think that's an illusion. It's the same thing as the model minority myth it's just the other side of the same coin trying to be cool trying to be this other thing and i think when somebody comes out and is flawed or threatens that sort of positive uh image that asian americans in hollywood have been trying to promote it becomes a threat and they try to sort of tear you down the people who came down the hardest on me during that time um when i you know, was pretty reckless and profane on Twitter, um, the way one might be when they're like drunk in a bar. Um, the, the people who came down on me hardest were Asian Americans themselves. Um, and it was, it was very, um, it was hard and it definitely got me to a difficult place, but I think it's important to talk about because Asian Americans don't talk about anything within their own communities, anything that's not positive or comfortable. And I think you need to embrace the discomfort, whether it's owning up to your own insecurities or owning up to the rampant misogyny and sexism and patriarchal cultures that run in Asian American cultures. Um, mm. And to sit with that discomfort and take ownership of it. But there's just so much fear around it. It doesn't, it hasn't happened. Um, and 
Yeah, so I think that's when we will have real, whole human representation. Yeah. Not when we're thought of as the cool kid, but when we can just be a person who has things they're ashamed of, has things they're proud of, who is just a full human being. That's real representation. Just to give our, our listeners context, if they do not know about it, you had expected Fresh Off the Boat not to be renewed. And uh, when you found out that it was, it was at a, at a time when you were excited for a fresh start for some new projects in the works. You were very upset. And you t- tweeted out, so upset right now, I'm literally crying, ugh, and some expletives, and then some other <laughs> explanations that may not have made it any clearer how you were feeling, as you s- describe yeah. it, I guess, as someone who was drunk in a bar what were some of the things that you heard, especially from Asian Americans, that that really stung? Well, one thing that people really came down on me about is how, oh, you think you're this big star now because of Crazy Rich Asians, you're biting the hand that feeds you. How dare you not consider the jobs of everybody else on the show, the kids, the crew members? And what's kind of ironic about that is I had been considering everybody's jobs for the past five, six years, and that's why I had kept my mouth shut about the sexual harassment, abuse, intimidation, and threats that I received the first two years of of my time at Fresh Off the Boat from a senior Asian American male producer. And I swallowed that abuse. I swallowed that harassment. I never told anybody about it in order to preserve the reputation of the show and preserve everybody else's jobs on the show because this was this show was historic for Asian Americans and I didn't want to dirty that but that's the problem we we only want perfectly positive representation when we need to face the things within our own communities we I should have and I this was prior to meet the me too movement but I very much regret not confronting the sexual harassment that I encountered those first two years. Um, who knows what might have happened, but, you know, that, that that's the irony of it. People were saying that I was ungrateful and that I wasn't considering other people's jobs, yeah. not knowing that I had held back abuse for five, six years to well, keep other people's jobs, you know? We'll have more with Constance Wu after the break. Stay with us. This is Forum. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're talking this hour with actor Constance Wu, who has a new book out, a collection of essays called Making 
a scene. And you, our listeners, can join the conversation if you have questions or comments for Constance Wu, if there's a performance of hers that you have connected to, or just thoughts that the things that Constance is bringing up raise for you. You can email them to forum at kqed.org. You can post them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're at KQED Forum. And you can always call us, 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. This listener writes, As an Asian American, I'm so relieved to hear Constance Wu's take on our culture. Showing the good and the bad about the culture helps make us whole and seen as people, not just models. Constance, just before the break, you talked about regretting not raising the fact that uh, you had been harassed and intimidated by an Asian male producer on Fresh Off the Boat. And in one of the things that you also mention is just how you felt this burden not to sully a show that had been a beacon of representation and so on. Can you talk a little bit about that burden that it places to not sully and what sort of your excavation of that experience has taught you about that, that burden? Um, I mean, I hesitate to call it a burden because, you know, I was in a very fortunate position hmm. to be able to star in two of arguably the most historic projects in Hollywood, both in the, for Asian Americans, both in the realms of television and in um, film. Like, and uh, it, it, the reason one might think it kind of, might be a burden is because this is not what I studied. You know, I studied classical theater. I was planning on being like a Shakespearean actor. Right. Whereas I do think that there, yeah, I think there are people who have done Asian American studies who have been talking about this forever, who really deserve um, and could better use the microphone than than the I could have. Uh, but, you know, nevertheless, I was sort of given it. And so I did the best that I could with it. But I do know that there are people who um, are just more studied on the topic and um, I guess deserve a bigger voice than I do. But listen, I'd be glad to talk about method acting and Shakespeare, but like nobody asks me about that. So, you know, the things that I feel that I have expertise on are sort of not the things that people want to hear from me. At least they haven't been. Yeah. Um, It's not so much the expertise on sort of what's happening structurally, but just the fact that what has happened structurally, right? The lack of representation is something you had to live you had to feel the impact of through the upsetness and through the unrelenting criticism about the things that you said, I think is more what I'm interested in, in hearing is, is that piece of it. And certainly not, not to make you, you know, an academic expert on that level. No, I mean, it, it is quite disheartening what has happened, especially recently with me calling out a lot of stuff within the Asian American community. There has been a lot of, silence and avoidance. And it goes back to what I was saying about avoiding discomfort, hoping it'll go away. Um, You know, I've talked a bit in the book about how back in season two, I told a select few people that this Asian American producer was harassing me, sexually harassing me. I specifically said that. And almost as a testing ground to see if they'd believe me, to see if they'd even ask if I was okay or or offer me some 
help, but none of them did. And the most disheartening was um, the father of one of my child co-stars of the show is a very prominent Asian-American activist who, I mean, he's so prominent that I think he started like one of the first Asian-American magazines. Um, he, he definitely had some like very poor reviews for All-American Girl when it came out. Um, that was Margaret Cho's uh, TV show that came out, gosh, at this point, like, what was it, 20, 30 years ago? Um, but I told him and he didn't even ask if I was okay. He didn't even make sure I was safe, didn't tell me to report it to HR, never brought it up again. And then he continued being friends um, with my abuser, which is hard to go to work every day and see somebody that you thought was an advocate for Asian Americans, who 50% of which are female, um, being friends or doubting your story and being friends with your abuser or thinking they don't have enough details to discern whether your story is bad enough. Harassment mm. is harassment. Abuse is abuse. And it's just really disheartening because I talked to him recently and I was like, you did know. And I'm not saying this to blame you because listen, I should have, it's not your fault. I should have come forward with it too. We were all scared prior to the Me Too movement. So I don't want to blame him, but it was just a, such a missed opportunity for him to take ownership of the fact that Asian American men are often very passive when it comes to feminist issues within the Asian American community. And they do it under the guise of deference and respect. He's like, oh, well, that's a woman's issue. Like, I have no place to talk about that. And I'm like, not only do you have a place to talk about, we need your voices. We need this not to be a sideline issue. The intersections of race and gender aren't a side issue. They are integral to what you claim to stand for, which is Asian American representation. And yes, it's because it's fear, it's embarrassment that, you know, he did the wrong thing. But that is what would have made it all the more powerful. If he had taken ownership without blaming me, saying, I'm sorry if you felt bad. I'm sorry if I didn't get the story right. Instead of saying, you know what, I'm sorry I didn't do anything. I'm sorry I got the story wrong. That's a true apology. That's ownership. That's being better. But, you know, even him, like a Harvard-educated man, he couldn't issue an apology without an excuse. Um, and it just felt like a missed opportunity. And it just makes me want, hopefully, some Asian-American men to, like, come forward and, and talk about the, the issues Asian-American women face and how they're not sideline issues, that they are important yeah. to the cause. Well, let me go to caller Dina in San Jose. Hi, Dina. Thanks for calling. You're on. Hi. I um, really resonated Constance, with the story you're sharing about suppressing the um, sexual harassment for the image of the organization because I just I had a similar experience. Um, mm -hmm. I was told, oh, you're too young. You have so much to learn. And um, and then it turned out years later uh, that this person wasn't just abusing me, but other people within the organization. Mm -hmm. and youth. Dina, I'm, I'm so sorry that happened to you, and I appreciate you calling to share that and, and glad to hear that. What Constance yeah. was sharing is resonating. 
I, I'm so sorry to hear that happen to you. And, and that is why I regret not going to HR, because even though I was afraid that my story wouldn't be bad enough or whatever, it is important to have a record. Because like you said, you found out years later that this person had had a record of abuse um, so that it doesn't continue. Um, and were it to happen today, I would 100% report it. But, um, you know, when <laughs> that was my fresh off the boat was my first big television job. I had been like a waitress like a few months prior to getting fresh off the boat. So I was scared, too. And when you're young, you're scared. So I'm sorry that you went through it. But um, don't blame yourself for it either, because you're not the one who started the thing that was wrong, you know. <laughs> We're talking with actor Constance Wu. Her new book is called Making a Scene. Constance, let's talk a little bit about growing up in Virginia. <laughs> You've described yourself as a as a, a big emoter, a kid, an extroverted kid who loved risk-taking. You would write about riding your bike through your suburban neighborhood, racing the mail carrier home when he was driving yeah. his mail truck. There was just a real, almost like you also loved the adrenaline of that. And uh, can you just talk a little bit about how how you felt about the spaces you found in Virginia that allowed you to be that emoter? It sounded like community theater was a really yeah. great part of that. Yeah, 100%. I mean, I was extroverted. I was bold. I was daring. And, um, and I was emotional. And I found, I was lucky to find community theater very early on. My first play, I talk about it, was A Little Princess with Henrico Teen Theater. Um, and a wonderful woman was the director. Her name was Becky Jones, and I did a lot of her plays. But, you know, community theater is a place where big feelings and extroversion are celebrated. And so I always had that growing up. And to be honest, it wasn't until I moved to New York City that I kind of felt... Like it wasn't cool to be emotional, hmm. to quote unquote, make a scene. And you know what's actually even funnier is like, I think one of my early reviewers of my book describes me in the book as a shy child, growing up as a shy child who was finally <laughs> able to. And I was like, this is so interesting because <laughs> I really literally never say, I literally say that I'm like extroverted and bold, like probably several times in the book. Yes. But this reviewer, it was, I think it was Kirkus Reviews maybe, like took their own preconceived ideas of like probably what I looked like as like a very slight, small Asian American girl and said, this is about her transformation from shy girl to Hollywood star. And I was like, I was never shy. I came out of the womb singing show tunes, like truly. <laughs> this is, so I'm like, you didn't even read the book. You just had like an idea of me. But yeah, that's the thing. People come with their preconceived notions. But yeah, I had community theater. I had the bakery. I had all these wonderful places in Richmond, Virginia, where I felt free to be myself. And sure, there are certain spaces in school where you don't feel free. But having those outlets like community theater is so important. And I'm doing a play right now um, at Center Theater Group. And it's like coming home. That's how it is with theater folks. Wow. Like there's none of this like Hollywood who has the bigger trailer bullshit. It's like, no, we're here to work on the scene. We're here to find the moments in the play between the humans. Let's get down to work. Let's sit at this table and let's talk about it. And it's like coming home. It's the 
best thing ever. Did you feel like when you were offered Fresh Off the Boat for everything that it was, given the fact that you studied in conservatory, you wanted to do theater, that even then you questioned whether this was the right role for you? Oh, a hundred percent. I would it was such a blow to my ego, you know, because <laughs> in a way I was like, oh my God, I'm playing like an immigrant mom when like, you know, I, you know, who's like 10 years older than me on like a major commercial network. And I was like, no, I'm like a classical theater actor and like an indie film actor. But at the same time, I was also $40,000 in credit card debt like probably $30,000 in like student loan debt and struggling to make rent every month. So I was also like thrilled <laughs> because I was going to be able to like pay my bills doing what I loved. And ultimately it turned out to be wonderful because I learned a lot about comedy and, um, and my own craft. I, I learned just, I learned so much from that about acting. Um, but yeah, at first it was, it was definitely, uh, it threw me a little bit. I, I shouldn't have because I used to do a lot of McDonald's commercials. But you know, you do those, you 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 know, you bite into a burger and smile for a day and then you're done. But like, you know, this was like a seven year contract. So yeah, yeah, long a long contract, a long commitment. So definitely something you had to think through. So then now you're doing Lal Lal Crocodile. Does that feel closer to achieving some of the things that you envisioned for yourself when you were, when you were? It does, even though people have like said some snarky things. I mean, I think I read like an IndieWire interview that was like how far she's come since fresh off the boat. <laughs> like as if this is like a demotion, as if like every actor wants to be in a Marvel movie. But as I said, I came out of the womb singing show tunes with like jazz hands. This is, this. I started out playing a mole in community theater in the play <laughs> Wind in the Willows. <laughs> like that was my favorite role. Like the, the, the idea people have of me as either like this movie star or the complete lie that I'm a diva and that I'm difficult to work with is, is an outright lie. No, I'm pretty joyful excited actor who loves the craft who loves the people on the craft and who treats it with respect and professionalism um and i'm going to treat lyle lyle crocodile with respect and professionalism and passion even if other people write it off as a silly children's musical children's musicals and children's theater are what saved me as a kid mm. so of course i want to do that those, that was my refuge. God, it's like amazing. But, you know, people are always going to judge me and think that, you know, I should be doing whatever bigger tentpole stuff. But, you know, this is me and it feels good to finally just be me. It really is interesting hearing you talk about how it doesn't even matter what you do or what you explicitly write and say about yourself, that that there is such this idea of who you are, who Asian American women are, Asian American girls are, and so on, that um, that it, it doesn't matter. And then on top of that, you're an actor, and you wrote this line where you wrote about how to be an actor, you are known but not known. It's like everybody has this yeah. idea of who they think you are. Mm -hmm. um, but yet at the same I mean, time, it's easiest yeah. to believe the worst thing. It's always easiest. So when like a tabloid capitalized on 
the virality of my tweets three years ago and and made up outright lies about my character on set, it sort of took on a life of its own. And people had these preconceived notions simply because it's easiest to believe the worst thing about a person. Um, and that's actually held me back a little bit because people who don't know me have this idea of me. But uh, ultimately, the people who have actually worked with me, who actually know me, who sit down and talk with me, um, I'm certain are pretty relieved to find out that I, I think I'm actually pretty joyful to work with. What act from an ins- outsider during that time helped you most when you were receiving all of that, you know, just unrelenting anger, frustration, and all of that you were absorbing? Um, I mean, there were a few friends who helped me a lot. I mean, I did end up in uh, the ER after a suicide attempt um, because a, an Asian actress sort of shamed me to the brink of despair, uh, <laughs> a former colleague of mine, actually. And um, oh, it forced me to get help, which was so ultimately was a good thing because I sort of put my mental health on like a shelf while I was trying to hustle after my career for so many years and and repress all this sexual harassment on Fresh Off the Boat. So I went through a lot of therapy. You know, I had one friend who reached out to me quite a lot. Um, His name was Chike and and he's Chike Okonkwo. He's not um, Asian American. He's actually a black British actor, a wonderful one. And um, it was just like... Yeah, it was it was interesting how my community w- took more effort to shame me than to check in with me. Because as I've said before, if someone does something out of character for them, it usually means something is going on with them. Um, and before rushing to judgment, maybe it's an opportunity to exercise our curiosity and empathy and care for each other. Because, um, yeah, those tweets were very out of character for me. Um, but, but yeah, so I, I leaned on friends. Um, I took a break from social media. I was in therapy every day. I was like in a mental hospital. Um, but yeah. And, and then, and then I had a baby and that changed everything. So I feel in a really good place today. Mm. So even though it was tough back then, I mean, if it brought me to where I am now, that's friggin' awesome because I'm in the best place right now. We're talking with Constance Wu about her childhood, about acting, about trauma, and so many other things that make a life. Her book is Making a Scene. We'll have more after the break. This is Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set 10 years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. 
Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. Welcome back to Forum. I'm Nina Kim. Here's what we're talking about tomorrow. More Californians are contributing their dollars and time to state races in other states, Michigan, Arizona, where the winning party will have power over a lot of very important things related to our democracy. We'll talk about what those races are tomorrow on Forum. Today, we're talking with actor Constance Wu. She has a new book out called Making a Scene, a collection of essays that reflect on so many things about her life, including her childhood or acting in some of the toughest moments that her success has has drawn attention to <laughs> as a result of it. You are invited to join the conversation. You can call us at 866-733-6786. You can email us your thoughts, forum at kqed.org, and post them on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. We're getting a lot, so let me go to them. Let me start with Hari in Lafayette. Hi, Hari. Go right ahead. Yeah, hello. Uh, I really appreciate uh, you coming on radio and uh, exploring this issue. Uh, my, my comment is basically, I'm you, uh, because of your background as a theater person and uh, knowing the issue of the role versus the character as uh, two different things that ordinary people confuse, mm -hmm. uh, I want to extend uh, what you're saying to the Indian Americans too. They do exactly the same thing. This is across uh, probably the immigrant experience coming to America. And, you know, I have children too, like, you know, probably your age. They've gone through, you know, suburban schools in white communities. You know, they, they have the standard life like you described. So you can't – yeah, basically I'm saying you, you're hitting the issue of – especially because you, you're really theater-trained, the issue of the situation comedy versus what the person's character was in place. Like Archie Bunker in All in the Family. People mm -hmm. misunderstand him. Yeah. Well, Hari. Yeah, thanks. Sorry, go ahead, Constance. No, I was just saying, like, I, I – Obviously, I, I can't speak for, he said, you're Indian. Like, I can't speak for the South Asian community because I, I it's, it's a culture that is not one that I grew up with. But I do think it's a place where we need more representation. And just like I've been saying with, you know, East Asian American representation, we need whole human representation, not just positive representation. Mm -hmm. um, so that so that our kids like your kids can watch it and know that. They could be heroes, but they could also make mistakes and still be loved and worthy. Well, Curtis writes, Asian Americans have been underrepresented and stereotyped in pop culture forever. The idea that we should be quiet and assimilate into white American culture is a false ideal to pursue. We need to fight for equality on our terms as individuals. Constance is challenging the status quo, and that's what we must all do. Let me go to Deborah in Oakland. Hi, Deborah. Hi. Um, thank you so much. I... Um... I hope I could be more articulate than I am right now. I, I relate so much to what you're talking about. Um, I work in academic science, and um, there, I've witnessed so many things, and it, not many people speak up, even as witnesses or trying to help. And there's all kinds of work going on now about diversity, equity, inclusion, this and this. But underneath, underneath, it's still happening. And I relate very much to what you said about the need for empathy and curiosity when someone's behavior changes. We had a few suicides there a long time ago, and I'm, I'm very sensitive to it. And thank you for the forceful nature. We should be speaking out. We should not be ashamed. People need to know about what's going on. And um, thank you. Oh, thank you for that. And I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your experience. Um, 
Yeah, but we do need to speak out and we need to sit, be able to sit in discomfort for a little bit because that's where the growth is. And I think a lot of it is trying to avoid discomfort, trying to avoid shame. But, you know, if you dig deep into those places, that's where the magic happens in everything, in like relationships and life, all of that. If you actually communicate and address those things, that's where things open up. Um, but yeah, it still happens for sure. Well, Deborah, thank you. And I am sorry to, um, you are definitely helping a lot of people feel heard. Jenny writes, I loved Constance on Fresh Off the Boat and Crazy Rich Asian, Asians. Glad she is speaking out about harassment. It is so important because Asian women are perceived as easy targets because we're culturally conditioned on top of the normal female conditioning. The conditioning to not make waves absolutely takes away our strongest weapon, which is the truth. I am 72 and was harassed my entire career. It was mostly confusing, and speaking out had consequences of not being apologized to, lost friendships, fewer job opportunities, and not being believed. But speaking out is important, and Constance is one of our women warriors. <laughs> Thank you. I'm just like a person. <laughs> you talked about how your daughter changed everything. How did she change everything? Um. Well, you know, some people have said like, oh, did, has she, have you changed the person? And I'm like, actually having my baby made me feel more like myself than I've ever been. Cause I think I've always been kind of ambitious and hardworking and like hustling and doing that is sort of like, it's about the future or about the past, like trying to get somewhere, trying to be somebody. And I think when you have a kid you find such joy in the small little moments that are in the present that you stop sort of the hustle and you just enjoy the moment. You just enjoy your kid eating an ice cream for the first time. And it's magical, you know? And if what I do, I think that what I do truly as an actor is I sort of uh, celebrate and love the human experience gosh, what's, what's a more human experience than like watching a baby grow and discover life? It's been so rewarding and beautiful and joyful. And even the hard bits, even the uncomfortable bits, when you have like puke all over you or like your kids crying, those are the best parts. Those are the opportunities where you find connection and, and real life. So it's changed everything in that it's like, no, it's, it's okay. Yes. Let me go back to my theater roots. Yes. Let me go back to the things that made me what I am playing mole in wind of the willows, playing opposite it, a crocodile in this musical. These are the things that gave me hope and a feeling of belonging as a kid. And gosh, that's what I want for my kid. So it changes my choices um, in that sense. And it's, it's been wonderful. Well, the listener writes, it sounds like she reads a lot of her reviews. Is that hard? How does she handle positive and negative reviews? Yeah, um, I didn't used to. But now that I've gone through a lot of therapy, I think it's it negative reviews. I actually really like them because because I know that my work as an artist is a lifelong process and journey. And it's not like, oh, this is the one thing that stands for me. It doesn't really hurt me when people say bad things about me because I'm like, it's all part of the process. Discomfort is part of the process and it makes you a better artist. But what I find interesting about bad reviews is I think it reveals a lot about the reviewer 
like that reviewer from Kirkus who described me as a shy child. It, re it reveals so much about how he or she went into reading the book and whether or not they read the parts where I said I was always an extroverted kid. And um, yeah, I mean, even reading reviews of other people's movies that I'm not in, I think there was a there was a review by this guy of that uh, that Turning Red movie. Mm -hmm. <laughs> just, it just like it was this white guy and it revealed so much of his bias, but like. To, and people called him out on it and it was like such a great opportunity for people to understand and see their own bias. I find really interesting. I, I, I wasn't always an artist who could read my bad reviews um, and and find fascination in them, you know, but, uh, you know, when you're in your 20s, you're like, your ego is a little more fragile. But no, I'm, I'm not really run by my ego anymore. I'm more motivated by understanding humans and Seeing what people say reveals a lot about them. And so I find it fascinating um, to do. Often reveals more about, about them. Can you yeah. ask your view on, on portraying Asian people with accents? And you've talked about how not doing accents can sometimes have the effect of catering to ignorance. Can you talk a little about that? Sure. I have an essay in the book called Welcome to Jurassic Park. And, you know, it's all about the, you know, the T-Rex in Jurassic Park. He can't see you if you don't move. Yep. Um, and I, I have maybe a rather controversial take on stereotypes because I think stereotypes deserve more representation, not less. Because stereotypes do exist, right? I'm a stereotypical actor. I have jazz hands and I harmonize on the school bus. But that's not all I am. Right. So stereotypes are only harmful when they reduce a person um, and then exploit that reduction. But I actually think that when an actor says, I refuse to do a stereotypical accent, I refuse to play a stereotype. I worry when an actor says that, because if our if our hurt, our pain from old wounds renders us so ashamed that we actually openly reject and refuse the roles that re that you know reflect our mothers our fathers our uncles our aunts our brainy cousins it almost reinforces hollywood's ignorant idea that those qualities are inherently shameful cuz why else would you reject them yes mm. yes we reject them because we've been wounded before because Hollywood made these really ignorant choices. But when you're an artist, you're supposed to be creative. Why make your choices a reaction to a system that never understood you in the first place? Be stronger than that. Because <laughs> let's look at it. What does having an accent mean? It means you know two languages. What's so shameful about that? Nothing. It's other people's ignorant mockery that made it feel shameful. But you know that's not the truth. So don't let it color your decisions. Um, I think that the reason I think Asian stereotypes deserve more representation is because Hollywood really did them wrong the first time around. And a great actor can bring flesh, bones, history, and heart to a previously stereotyped character. They can expand upon it rather than reduce the character, which is what has been historically done. So I just think we should be careful when we outright reject something because somebody else made fun of it. Somebody else who doesn't know you. I know my mom. 
I know my dad. I know that they're really smart and they have an accent because they know two languages. That's pretty friggin' cool. Um, and so, yeah, I'm trying to be creative, not reactive. We're talking about acting with Constance Wu, and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Let me go next to caller Jennifer in San Francisco. Hi, Jennifer. You're on. Hello. How are you? Miss mm-hmm. Wu, first, I have to say, seeing you particularly on Colbert, it was such strength. And I really, I am so, so, so sorry that you've gone through what you've gone through. And when you made that first tweet, and I immediately said, wait, 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 wait. This is not what I've seen in public. And I, private and public are different. I get it. But I immediately thought something's wrong. Yeah. And I, too, had a wonderful childhood. Wonderful. And I've always been the one who reaches out, who makes sure everything's okay. And I'm going through now something that's horrifying. Mm. I've lost 20 pounds in three weeks. Mm. And I have had more positive attention now when I look and feel like crud Mm, than I have in six months. And I'm not mad at it, but when I do think about it, I'm like, wait, what? What? When I feel horrible and I feel like my world is crashing, I get smiled at nicely. Mm. But I'm like, wait, 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 wait. And I, too, have been trying desperately to get mental health therapy so I can be strong for the people who need it or need me. So hearing your story, I'm like, good God, finally. And I'm not Asian American. I'm not. But but your story resonates so deeply with me, Ms. Will. Oh, thank you. And I'm sorry to hear what you're going through. And uh, and it is a thing that happens when you lose weight, you get this positive reinforcement because of our culture's obsession with like thinness. Uh, but then, you know, the response to that is often, oh, let's praise being curvy and big. And I think that's kind of bullshit too. I think let's stop focusing on how people look and start focusing on their actions and their feelings. And I think if a lot of people knew what you were going through and focused on your feelings and what you're and the, uh, going, what's going on right now, um, it would be just so much better for you. And I'm sorry that it's you're going through this tough time, but um, I'm glad that you know I don't know that I can help maybe in any way. Um, well, Jennifer, yeah. I just appreciate you sharing that too. Uh, Leanne writes, Dear Constance, thank you for finding your voice. Is there a reason you are protecting the identity of your senior Asian producer? Yes. Um, I don't think I'm protecting his identity. I think I make it pretty clear to anyone in the entertainment industry who it is. You know, I say, I give his first initial. Um, I say he has a daughter. I say that he is married. Um, I say he's Asian American. There are only two Asian-American male producers of the show, um, and only one of them is married with a child. Um, But the thing is, I think it's important to come out so that 
people know in the industry and people in the industry, the Hollywood industry know. But I don't want to destroy this person's life the way people tried to destroy me on Twitter three years ago. I don't want his he, him to become a household name like Harvey Weinstein was because I, I, I understand what he was going through, right? And we got through it. But I do think that I don't disguise who this is at all. And the people who do even just a little bit of research, even just a little bit, can figure out who he is. But, you know, Joe Schmo, who picks up a copy of my book in the airport and is just flipping through it and doesn't really care to take the time to Google it, he's not going to go home and talk about it at Thanksgiving and then tweet at this guy these horrible things. Um, the same thing that, you know, I got tweeted horrible things at. So I don't hide his identity. Um, to anyone for whom that is an important piece of information, for anyone for whom that is an important piece of information, they could readily find it. Um, but I don't want to destroy his life. I, I actually just want him and all Asian American men to just take ownership of their hidden misogyny and um, try to change. So... You know, maybe he hasn't said anything, but maybe he will. I mean, it's it's like I said with that Asian-American activist who's Harvard-educated, who's the father of one of my kids on the show. It's a missed opportunity. Oh, gosh, what an example it would be for other young Asian-American men to see this activist take ownership and talk about feminism. But, um, yeah, but that remains to be seen. But, uh, yeah, I don't want to protect his identity. I just don't want him to have a pile on the way I did um, when all that Twitter stuff happened. But if, if you want to know who it is, it's it's pretty easy to figure out. Well, Constance Wu, we have just less than 30 seconds left. You did write oh, 18 sorry. essays. I'm wondering if you could just tell us what was your favorite one to write? <laughs> well, the most enjoyable one to write was about my first job at Montana Gold Bread Company in Richmond, oh. Virginia, just because it brought back the smells of the bakery. Um, and the one that was just the loveliest and painfulest and most beautiful to write was the one about my little sister. It's called Snow <laughs> Whistle. And a lot of people who have sisters have been like, oh my God, that essay. And um, yeah, I really, I really like that one a lot too. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. I also love the bread, the bread baking one. Well, Constance, it's been a real pleasure to, to get to know you in this way. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you for having me. Have a great day. Constance Wu, the book is Making a Scene. Thank you, listeners, for sharing the effect it had on you. And also thank you, Grace Wan, for producing today's segment. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. Funds for the production of Forum are provided by the members of KQED Public Radio, the Germanicos Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, and the Heising Simons Foundation. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera. Set ten years after a school shooting, the critically acclaimed opera Innocence takes us into a complex emotional journey where our understanding of innocence and guilt is constantly upended. Kaya Sariajo's ethereal score collapses the past into the present as a community of survivors grapple with how to move forward. Don't miss the highly anticipated American premiere of Innocence, June 1st through 21st. Learn more at sfopera.com. We've all got those parts of our house where the internet just won't go. 
Well, if you had wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you could worry less about dead spots. Because with wall-to-wall Wi-Fi from Xfinity, you get fast speeds, reliable connection in every room, and power for all of your devices, even when everyone's online. That's wall-to-wall Wi-Fi only with Xfinity. Restrictions apply. Not available in all areas. Actual speeds vary. All over the country, we need to improve reading in Wisconsin. Schools are changing the way they teach reading. I'm calling for a renewed focus on literacy. We have gotten this wrong in New York and all across the nation. And it's happening because of a podcast. I think your podcast has changed my life. And I'm going to share this podcast with everyone I meet. Sold a Story investigates how teaching kids to read went wrong. New episodes of Sold a Story are available now.